bodies are important and having your gender affirmed is deeply important. And yet in that process, being able to know that no matter what you are more and being able to know that the ideals you have in your head that you've been raised with, they are wrong. Femininity, masculinity, whatever it is, it's different than we've been taught. It is more expansive. It is more accepting than we've been taught to believe. Hey, y'all. You know that feeling when you're walking down the hall or through a room of people and it feels like everyone is staring at you? And you know how in those moments you almost start to stare at yourself? You become acutely aware of the way your clothes are hanging on your body, your posture, the way you're walking, the hairstyle you chose that day. And chances are you're not thinking about how awesome you're looking. There's a name for this experience. It's called self-objectification. And we all do it. We're groomed for it from birth. It's at the root of so many of our body shame issues, and we're raising our kids to do the exact same thing. You're listening to Camp Wildheart, your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host, Mackenzie Dunham. Self-objectification is the concept of trying to look at ourselves through the eyes of others. We cannot see our own bodies walking through the world, but we definitely imagine them. And when we do, we imagine them through a lens of criticism and unworthiness. There are so many reasons we do this, and none of them are healthy. Today's campfire guest is Lexi Kite. Lexi and her identical twin sister, Lindsay, are the co-directors of Beauty Redefined, a nonprofit working to help girls and women improve their body image and self-worth as they wade through harmful cultural ideals. They're also the co-authors of the book, More Than a Body. I first learned about Lindsay and Lexi through a colleague that specializes in disordered eating and trauma. These are topics that come up often in the work that I do, and I'm always looking for good resources on how to address disordered eating in trans kids because it is so prevalent. In fairness, this isn't particularly a trans kid problem. Disordered eating is incredibly common. It's also incredibly dangerous. Eating disorders are more lethal than any other mental health disorder. Seriously, they kill more people than suicide. My problem is that the models for treating disordered eating just weren't working for my trans clients because their goals were so different than their cisgender peers. They're trying to modify the shape of their body due to gender identity issues, not just the body image issues that we're used to seeing. So when my colleague suggested I read their book, I was skeptical. But as I read it, I saw that the clear difference was that they were focused on the self-objectification of it, which is something that had been missing in the past. Now, Lindsay and Lexi's research and work has been focused on cisgender girls and women, but I knew I could apply it to trans youth. And at this point in my career, I've grown so accustomed to finding therapeutic models or research done on cisgender folks and tweaking it to apply to trans youth that it just seemed like a natural fit for me. I have to do this all the time because there are no therapeutic interventions and very little research done to support the trans community through their unique and nuanced mental health needs. After I went through the book and their curriculum that they've written for therapists, I reached out to them and asked if I could alter it to help make it fit for trans folks. They gave me an emphatic yes. I'm still working on it, and I have a ways to go. I have a problem where I sometimes, slash all the time, try and do too much. So first I read the book, and it totally kicked my ass. Then I invited the moms of the trans kiddos who get therapy at Wild Heart Society to read the book in a book club and it kicked their asses too. They actually said, we need to read this slower because every line feels like a gut punch and I really need more time to process this. It took us about two months to get through it. 
And it just isn't that thick, y'all. So don't say I didn't warn you. Their book will kick your ass. And I think there's a possibility that this conversation might shake things up for you as well. So Lexi, one of the main reasons that I wanted to talk to you, right, you and your sister wrote this amazing book that has definitely, I almost said destroyed people's lives. What a terrible way to look at it. No, just yeah. kidding. I get it. I get it. But it, it's not like a destruction. It's more of like a deconstruction, right? Like a deconstruction. This, yes. Yeah. And this this awareness, like helping people be aware of like the programming that we all have. And so the book has been primarily written for women, right? Because that was what your research was on. Yeah. Right. But when I read it, I was immediately like, oh my God, this fits for trans kids so bad. I got to talk about this. Trans kids often suffer with really high rates of eating disorders, but traditional eating disorder treatment doesn't seem to like get at what the actual issue is. And so why don't we just start with, can you help listeners understand even just what is internalized objectification? Yeah, absolutely. We all grow up, regardless of gender, we all grow up and grow older in a world that convinces us that girls and women, people who present as female, are to be looked at first that we are bodies first and people second. We are taught this in a million ways, even in well-meaning ways, from the time we are just little babies, when we dress our babies up with big bows and pierce their ears and put the frilly socks and shoes and dresses on them and talk about how cute and pretty they are. They get makeup kits and dress-up kits, and the, the movies and TV shows primarily geared toward girls are all about girls seeking love, being the, you know, auxiliary to a man. Mm-hmm. And this starts so young and it causes us to grow up and grow older believing that our bodies are our everything and that as we decorate ourselves and fix ourselves and flaunt ourselves accordingly like a project, a never-ending project in need of fixing that that's how we will gain love and happiness and success and health. All of the things we want in life. Now, when you grow up in a world that convinces you of that, it is inevitable that we internalize that objectification. We we internalize it and swallow it every day of our lives through this term self-objectification. It's this idea that you live and you live to be looked at. And girls and women, anybody who's female presenting is much more likely to experience self-objectification what research kind of like shows us that they live perceiving themselves instead of living inside their own bodies. And that leads to a host of, as you can imagine, a million terrible consequences. When a portion of your mental and physical energy is literally sucked out of you thinking about how you look and monitoring yourself accordingly, you perform worse and a million different areas, math tests, reading comprehension tests, physical fitness tests. You can't get into a flow state that you want to do when you're creating and on and on and on. Yeah. It's just like, it's every layer of life, right? Every layer. As you're talking about that, I thought about, okay, so we, you said female presenting individuals, right? So that I think about like trans girls, but yeah. I also think about like trans boys who transitioned late. Oh, Yes. Yeah. And that's not a part of my research. That's like how your expertise comes in and rounds out this whole world where, you know, we have a a particular expertise and we need people like you to get this message out to more people that is more inclusive. You know, we're always working on being more inclusive, but you do such a good job of bringing this to more people that need it. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, It's truly, thank you. Um, I'm just going to think about like the 
because it starts at birth, right? You said it starts yes. at birth, right? So we've got trans boys, right, who spend the first parts of their existence being socialized as girls. Yeah. Right. And being taught about their value through the lens of your female. And that's already then ingrained in them by the time they get to adolescence and they're like, actually, mm-hmm. uh, that no. is not, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. But that internalized objectification or that self-objectification really still sticks with them. And I see that over and over and over again. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I cannot even imagine that idea that they have to perform themselves, that they have to look at themselves living instead of just living. I I can only imagine there should be a ton of research done on that specific population. Oh yeah. It's such a, like, it's, it's huge. And it's missed. And gender is so like, you know, (laughs) complicated. My face could just like (laughs) say what I'm feeling. Um, but uh-huh. it is so complex. It's complicated. And like it shifts throughout time and different ages and different stages of our lives. We can identify differently. But yeah, the the thing about it that I sort of see here with self-objectification, right, is this is what a boy body looks like or this is what a girl body looks like. And if I if my body can't look like that, no one's ever going to see me as who I really am. Like I'm. I am body first, self second. Oh, totally. And the, the one thing we talk a lot about, and I'm sure you talk and think a lot about, is the idea that the gender binary that is presented to us in all forms of media is, I mean, it's so dehumanizing for mm. everyone. For everyone. For everyone. It causes us all to believe that there are two extremes, that there is female and there is male and there is nothing in between. And what we specifically study is this idea of of femininity as something that is commodified. It is Mm. something that we have all learned you must put on, you must purchase, you must work for. It hurts, it is painful, but it is your life's work. Femininity hurts. And so that's where I talk about that idea of being decorative. You know, our our mantra, my body is an instrument, not an ornament, is Ugh. trying to directly combat that idea that we are all ornaments and that the only way to be happy is to perfect and beautify your ornament. You prioritize how you look in the world instead of how you live. And that is sucking the happiness and the joy and the health and the experiences out of every single one of us. Right. It just sets us up for a life of comparison. Oh my gosh, yes. And you're never going to win. If you're mm-hmm. always comparing yourself to unattainable ideals, which they are, you know, mm-hmm. and a million people talk about that. That's not unique to our work, but it is very clear that um, Photoshop and photo editing is an industry standard. It's a social media standard. Filters are everywhere. You can't tell the difference anymore. And that sets up this norm in our minds where we are abnormal, we are disgusting, and we must fix the problem. And the problem is not us. We all come as we are. We are good, you know? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm reaching to the choir, but you know. You are for sure. But like, I'm sh- there's going to be parents on the other end of this listening to this being like, oh my God. Right. Yeah. And so I wonder. Your book does a really beautiful job of helping, like you present questions and then information and then more questions, and uh, yeah. it really helps people reflect as they go through it. And I wonder what question would be a good place for to invite parents who are just learning about this right now, like 
what's a good question for them to start off with about just the reflection on their own self-objectification? It's probably the baseline question that we ask at the beginning of the book, the beginning of our online course. We ask everybody in every speaking event, how do you feel about your body? As basic as that, I want everybody to maybe pause this for a second and just write down in the notes on your phone or send yourself a little voice memo. How do you feel about your body right now? What we found in our research is that the vast majority of girls and women who respond, the vast majority only describe themselves in terms of how they look, and more particularly, their worst fears of what they think they might look like to somebody else. So they say things like, I've gained so much weight lately, I just, I cannot get a hold of my eating, I'm out of control. If I can get that back in control, I'm going to feel good again, because I used to feel better, you know? They say my stretch marks are so embarrassing, or I'm too skinny, and people tell me I have an eating disorder, whatever the thing might be. I can imagine the things you hear with trans kids. Oh, yeah. It's all over the place, right? Like their hips are too wide. And then I'll have yep. them draw out what their body, what they think their body looks like yep. and what the body standard is. And it's like from, I'm showing with my hands, so I should probably describe what I'm doing. But like <laughs> their body is like slightly curved and the image that they want is like straight lines, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And bodies just, that's not how bodies work, right? And there's, whether or not you have a curve in one part of your body or not, does not change your identity and your gender at all, right? It doesn't. We all fit this. I mean, look at men, look at women in the world, and look at the vast array of shapes and sizes that we all get to come in. There are people that, you know, that would identify as female that are as stick straight as anybody, you know, and vice versa. There are, there is a range of us. And yet, A lot of times, one thing that Lindsay and I work hard to try to help people understand is that in a world where most people recognize that people have body image issues, they try to solve the problem by explaining how beautiful you are as you are. If you knew how beautiful you were, flaws and all, you would get out there and just be confident enough to change the world. And while that's that's good, you know, it, it can feel it feels nice and kind of relieving to hear oh, like maybe I'm cuter than I think I am. Or maybe people look at me and they don't have the same horrible things to say that I say about myself. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is that it is so fleeting that when your concept of of your worth, of your value, of your power is tied to your beauty, even when the definition of beauty has been expanded to you feel like it includes you a little bit better, it's still tied to your beauty. It's still tied to your body, whatever it might be. And that's not you. It's part of you, but it's not all of you. And you will never be happy when it's tied to that unattainable ideal. I also think like just listening to that, that, you know, little conversation you did in the beginning there of like, I'm having a bad body image day. I'll just call it that, right? Like yeah. uh, this day where I just don't feel good about myself or my body, not myself, right? Those are different. But I marry them together, right? So I don't feel good about myself because I feel not good about my body. And then you maybe confide in a friend. And what does your friend do? They minimize and blow over what you're actually experiencing. Yeah. And like, it's also this missed opportunity for connection to be like, Mm. isn't it totally jacked that we even have to live this way? Right? Like, wouldn't that be a much better answer? And like, yes, wouldn't we feel so much more connected to each other to be like, yeah, this is fucked up. Totally. (laughs) Yes, you are so right. Like, because a lot of times we talk about 
how when somebody comes to you and they say, like, I feel so fat or I feel so ugly or gross that we immediately think we need to respond even to our kids with like, you're not fat, you're perfect, or you're not fat, you're beautiful, or you're not ugly, you are beautiful. And the problem Mm -hmm. is that when we're talking about fat, we're setting up fat as the opposite of perfect, fat as the opposite of beautiful. And when we're talking about, you know, if somebody comes home and they've been bullied, somebody told them they're ugly and you say, oh, you are not ugly, you are beautiful just as you are. What we're doing is we're still playing within that power structure that says beauty is everything. Your body is everything. And so one thing that we say a lot is that if you give beauty the power to make you, it also has the power to break you. But when we break that entire value system, when our kids come to us and say those things, and we say, kind of like what you said to your friend, except maybe not saying the F word. But if you yeah, say something <laughs> to your friends, you should definitely say it's fucked up because it is. And to everybody <laughs> else, to your kids that are, are a little bit younger, you can say, oh, where do you think we learned these messages? Or where yeah. do you think your friend learned that message? Like, let's take an inventory of, let's scroll through Netflix right now and see how many shows reinforce that distorted ideal. And where do you think that comes from? It's money. It's profit driven. It's begging you to believe that you are not okay as you are and have that conversation with them that allows them to rebel against those messages, to be more critical about those messages, because Mm -hmm. that's what it takes. It takes being critical of every single message that comes in from our culture, from our loved ones, our friends at school, the shows we watch and on and on. It's constant, right? And it's sort of exhausting, right? I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, because the beauty industry and like this standard is just, it's it's, like you're saying, it's everywhere we look. Yeah. Right? And it's reinforced in the conversations we have with certain friends and certain parents. Um, Like I have had many conversations with my own mother where she says things like, I'll be happy when I lose 30 pounds. Or she lost 30 pounds and then is pissed that nobody has said anything about it. Um, and I'm like, I don't comment on people's bodies, mom. (laughs) Yes, totally. Yeah, me too. I've had that conversation so many times. I mean, most people now know what I do. And so they're not going to come at me with that sort of talk because they know what I'll say. But I've had that conversation so many times where I've said, you know what? I'm trying really hard not to talk about bodies. I've spent too much of my life thinking about how I look. It's gotten in the way of my happiness, my opportunities. I want to do a little bit less of that. I want you to join me. You know, like that sort of thing is so powerful to lead with that vulnerability helps Mm -hmm. people feel a little bit less defensive. But yes, there are so many people that have internalized these objectifying ideals and they're never and these fat phobic ideals, the same thing, and they are never going to be able to see outside of it. And some of those people just aren't going to be safe for us and safe for our kids. It's okay to have those convos with your kids too. grandma grew up at a different time where she thought she was taught that things were one way and it's going to be very hard for her to see anything else. So she loves you, but you might not hear that in her voice when she talks, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Right. Right. Like grandma's going to be super focused on the size of bodies. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've had definitely had conversations with family members about like, um, they'll walk in the house. The first thing they say is, oh my God, you look so great. You know, what have you been doing? And I will say like living my life. Living. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, me too. I actually, I have a five-year-old daughter. She'll be six next month. And when we go to her dentist's office, the pediatric dentist, every single one of them just talk about what she looks like. They just constant comments about, oh, you're so cute. Look at your shoes. What's your favorite princess? It's so gendered. It it just, 
annoys me to no end. So the last time when we were about to go in, I warned her. Now, Logan, I don't know if you remember, but the dentist and all the dental assistants, they want to talk about your looks. And it's okay to say, thanks. And guess what I'm reading? Or thanks. And I just learned to ride a bike. Or pivot in some way, you know? We can do that. We can teach our kids to do that. I think when you can't be vulnerable, you can be a little bit funny or sassy, and that's okay too, to be able to say, eh, also I'm more than that, you know? But um, my gosh, at the end of the day, it is so important that we change. We first uproot our own self-objectification, which isn't going anywhere. It, we will always self-objectify at certain points in our lives. We can alleviate that. We can alleviate the shame we feel. But in the work Lindsay and I do that we really feel like is unique and we feel like um, introduces a new concept to the body image space that is so important, it's this idea of body image resilience. That mm. no matter what body you're in, no matter how closely you fit to the ideals or how far you are from them, it is possible to see your pain, to see your shame. And instead of coping in the ways you used to, you think you look disgusting and so you punish yourself through self-harm, disordered eating, drug use, whatever the thing might be. Instead of coping in the ways so many of us do, we realize that we have to prioritize our own first-person perspective on our bodies. We have to. Nobody else is going to help us be safe and comfortable like we can. And so as that pain arises, we realize we have an opportunity to choose a new path, a path that allows us to rise in the face of it every time. And even though it sounds really hard to feel that shame rise up and instead of cutting yourself, instead of you know, berating yourself, hurting yourself in some way, that you could do a new thing, that you could sit in your body for a second and think, this is not a natural state I have to live with. I was taught this. This is not innate to me. I deserve more. What can I do to make a new choice for myself? How can I soothe myself in a way that serves me? Then over time, that's a muscle you flex. And those triggers over time, they hurt less and you respond to them innately and easily. Over time, you become resilient and you don't even know you are. That's our goal for everybody, that collectively we will all rise in the face of this very objectifying world. Yeah. And I think about like shame resilience, right? And how the number one trigger of shame is about identity, yeah. right? It's mm. about, I'm not just, the, so when we're experiencing body shame, it's about body identity. Like it's not like my body doesn't feel good today or my body doesn't look the way that I wanted to, right? This, or this outfit doesn't look the way I wanted to or whatever it is, right? It's, I am ugly. I yes. am that, right? Like I am a thing. It's an identity. And, and I'm thinking about that in like, context of like trans kids, right? Who are also struggling with people not seeing them for who they are. Yeah. Um, and not seeing that identity and just the layer upon layer of shame that they can experience between self-objectification, body dysphoria, social dysphoria, right? Oh, totally. And how like what a big ask it is to ask a trans kid to go out and to like just go fully function in the world and like do good in class, do good in all your stuff. Like, don't have any problems. What do you mean you have social anxiety? Like, we're just going to give you some meds. It'll be fine. It's just, it's so, it's such a big ask. It's such a big ask. And like, for so many kids, because we know that trans kids face higher rates of disordered eating and trans people, you know? And in so many ways, you can see exactly what that is. That's coping. That's coping with living in a body that doesn't fit in yeah. some way. Doesn't fit your ideals. The world's ideals doesn't fit. So it makes sense. And to be able to embrace your kids, the people around you, 
dealing with this deep shame with compassion to really understand something most of us can't fathom, those layers of shame, the intersections of pain and shame they experience. But to be able to meet them with compassion is just so central to this because I think for many trans people, they're they're not going to be able to heal from their disordered eating until until their body is affirmed in the ways they want, until they yeah. fit, you know, in whatever way they feel they need to. I have found that for the vast majority of kids that I work with who have disordered eating and also kids who go into toxic masculinity when they mm-hmm. transition to male and the kids who are so rigid about what they, how they need to present um, either hyper feminine or hyper masculine, that as soon as their identity is affirmed by the people that matter, that stuff melts away. Oh, I love that. They are able to return to so many, even like so many feminine things that they liked about being like socialized as a girl, right? Or so many things that they loved about being socialized as a boy. Um, When they're able to, uh, like when people finally see them and not just their bodies. Oh, I love that. I have goosebumps. That just makes so much sense to be able to firm somebody as they are, allows them to just be and to be more than a body, more than a body that's a burden, a body that's a constant project in need of fixing. Oh my gosh, we can all do better at that. Right. And trans kids, like they sometimes have their first endocrinology appointments, like in elementary school, right? So not only are they getting like this fabric of, of objectification messages, right? Mm -hmm. But then they're going to the doctor and already starting to talk about like ways that their body could change differently and how they, right? So it's this constant worry, this constant like awareness. Um, I've got a couple of trans boys that like, as soon as they started to develop breast, like breast buds, like just a little teeny tiny bit, it's just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And like just the fear and anxiety that comes with that and then how that spills into just every other part of their life, right? And it's like, like, I'm not trying to devalue, like, to say that's not a big deal. It certainly is a big deal. Yeah. And what are the messages that we're teaching kids about what it means to be who they are as opposed to like what their body looks like? Totally. Yeah. Because in the realm of being more than a body, like we don't mean that to devalue the fact that bodies are important and and having your gender affirmed is deeply important. And yet in that process, being able to know that no matter what you are more and being able to know that the ideals you have in your head that you've been raised with, they are wrong. And it's okay that they're wrong. Like you're not wrong because the ideals are wrong. The ideals are wrong. Right. They they are profit driven. They are harmful and dangerous. And we have all internalized them. But to be able to really critically consider that your concept of what you should look like has been co-opted by people and industries that hate you can allow you to rebel against that stuff and realize that femininity, masculinity, whatever it is, it's different than we've been taught. It is more expansive. It is more beautiful. It is more accepting than we've been taught to believe. Can you imagine what it would be like if you didn't have to, or if you gave yourself permission to let go of thinking about what I look like first. Oh yeah. It is right. transformative. We it is very scary for people to think about that, especially people that have been valued and evaluated their whole lives through the way they look. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, we have all been chasing mirages. We've been taught from a million sources that 
as we fix in quotes, as we fix our bodies, that's when we will find happiness and success. As we get closer to the ideals, that's the only way we're going to get happiness. And that is not true. And we know that when you look around in real life and in your own life, your thinnest times were not your happiest times. You, your, you know, most beautiful times were not necessarily the times where you were the most loved. Like, or you were not most successful in your career when you were most beautiful. For many of us, all of that ebbs and flows. I personally am fatter than I've ever been, and I'm happier than I've ever been. My relationship with my husband is as good as it's ever been. My career is as good as it's ever been. And none of that is dependent on how I look. And I also say that from a place of privilege. I understand and acknowledge the privilege I have. There are some people that do not have the privilege to opt out of all the beauty work we're talking about here. For Black women who who have to straighten their hair or have to wear weaves in order to be seen as professional in the workplace, you know, in a million ways, there are people that do not have the privilege to push back. But for those of us that do, when you prove to yourself that you can opt out of some of the beauty work you thought you had to do just to be you, that's where the resilience comes from. That's where you give yourself the power to say, I can leave without makeup today and I'm still me. And people will see a little bit more reality in their day or you know, whatever the thing might be. That's where the resilience comes from, proving yourself and those ridiculous, dangerous ideals wrong. Yeah, it's so huge and so important. And I think about that for like, I have a kiddo that I worked with and like she was so trans girl, was so afraid to like, even leave the house to go to school and not that people were bullying her she just was like could not stop seeing herself through their eyes yes and so we spent all this time we used we used more than a body a lot um Mm -hmm. as we did this and we were we pulled through and we talked about like where the messages were about what she should look like where did those even come from right Mm -hmm. and then we followed the money of those messages oh i love it back to like old fat white men yep right and she was like what the and i was like i know right and yes. so and then she was like you know what else i don't even like those people at school oh and I was like, yes <laughs> you don't but you're giving them so much power by like and she's like i am giving them so much power this is jacked right like oh. just had this moment of like everything's just sort of clicked and she was like i'm going to art class tomorrow and i was like heck yeah you are you know like I love that so much. That is the on the ground work of like, of really being able to prove the worst fears you have in your head about what other people might be thinking when they look at you. Those actually have no bearing on your reality unless there is violence being committed against you, you know? And for trans people, there often are. Like, it's true. Yes. Beautiful part of the country that that is not the case necessarily all the time. But yep. That's not the case necessarily in in a lot of the country. So I just want to like name that as well. That's true. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There are some opportunities where you can't push back because of literal violence against you and at all costs, protect yourself. Yes. And have a circle of influence that can protect you and you can protect them as well. And we're all advocates. We're all allies in that fight. The people listening at least. Yeah. But, ugh. you know, Lexi, as you're saying that, I just think about, okay, so like the trans kids of the parents who are listening, right, aren't necessarily going to have that privilege right? Especially trans girls, right? There's a, there's elements of safety that really come into play. Yeah. Um, and especially trans women of color. Whew, don't even start with me. So, oh, yeah. but the white moms, right? Do have the power. Mm-hmm. They do have that power and they can change the game here for these kids, for their oh, kids, yeah. for other kids, right? They can, they can really start to push back and, 
And that work starts internally for them. Exactly. Yes. Like that's where this individual idea becomes collective. It takes individuals. It takes individuals being able to change their own minds, being able to see the objectification that they have grown up and grown accustomed to and how they've enforced that against themselves and how they've enforced that against their kids and their Mm -hmm. sisters and their, Mm -hmm. their family in general. And then being able to eradicate that from the roots so that we can collectively rise so that we can collectively see the world with more compassion. We can see people for who they are as more than bodies, as more than parts in need of fixing. I'm I'm just so with you there. Yeah. I think that, you know, for me, as I'm walking away from this, I just, as we wrap up, I think about like, I want to invite parents to like really dive in and like allow themselves to feel the weight of this conversation. Yeah. Um, I'd love for them to check out More Than a Body and Beauty Redefined um, and all of the links and everything was definitely going to be in the show notes. Everyone mm-hmm. will know how to get to you. Um, <laughs> look out. Um, and you're welcome. But also just this idea of if I took the body out of it, can I see my kid for who they're telling me they are? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like that feels pretty big to me. It does feel big and really scary too for people who have not grown up even thinking they'd have to deal with this stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Which is, oh my I gosh. Think most adults. And being able to see your child as more than a body, like in this context, is huge and powerful. And the only way to probably have an authentic and healing relationship with your kid. Yeah. And to really help the, the kiddo also really recognize that they are more than their body. Oh, yeah. Oof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Lexi, is there anything else that you want to leave with listeners before we wrap up? I think you nailed it. You asked all the best questions. Well, <laughs> Thank you so much. I always appreciate your time and everything that you and your sister have done to help women and all of the kids that I work with. Um, and hopefully soon, all the other trans kiddos in the world um, that could use this lesson as well. Oh, thank you so much. We so appreciate the support and the work you're doing. So are you still with me? You made it to the end. Good job. Proud of you. I hope this conversation has left you feeling informed and hopeful. This topic is so hard for almost everyone. I wouldn't be surprised at all if you bailed or had to pause at some point and come back to it later. Even though looking at this part of ourselves can be incredibly painful, it is absolutely necessary. And we need our kids to see us doing the hard work so that they too can do the hard work. Camp Wildheart and our community of listeners are here to support you through this journey. So if there's anything we can do to support you in supporting your kid, let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Wildheart Society, or you can send us an email at camp at wildheartsociety.org. We also have a private Facebook group for parents to connect with each other and ask questions. It's called Camp Wildheart Community. Just type it into the search answer the questions, click join, and we'll approve you. Thanks again for Lexi and her sister Lindsay for all of the work they're doing to support the community and everyone through this incredibly difficult subject. And thanks again for joining us for camp. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for free so that you don't miss any future campfires and give us a rating. Rating the podcast helps other people find us and we want to make sure that anyone who needs one or wants one knows that there's a bunk for them at Camp Wildheart.